Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. Welcome, I'm Ellen Craven, and I have with me again today, Lane Rumke. Hi. And today we have with us Maria Bostad, who is the founder of Hocampo, which is a, a fabulous company that she, I would say, I don't know if she would describe herself as this, but she is an industrial designer. She's an innovator. She's an entrepreneur. She's probably the janitor at the same time for her company. And she wears so many different hats, but she's, she's done such a phenomenal job starting this company and really, you know, coming from her industrial design background. So really excited to talk to Maria today. So Maria, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. Um, we would love to really understand first, what's your story? How did you get to where you were, you were ready to start Pocampo? And where did that name come from too? Sure. So um, the story of Pocampo. So like I said, my background is in industrial design. And the first job I had was actually making bags um, for a company called Arctic Zone. They did coolers and lunch bags. So kind of like mainstream stuff, but it first taught me how to design bags for production, how to work with factories, how to source different materials and how to spec them. And I really enjoyed that design process. It's very iterative and there's just so many little different elements that you can play with that are just really appealed to me. Um, and from there, I went on to work at a branding and packaging design firm. And um, I also found that to be a good match for my interest just with the branding and I kind of started to drift to the more upstream projects where we would help our clients like P&G or Microsoft kind of like identify different white space in the market and develop a design language that would speak to maybe an underserved market or underserved consumer in that market and kind of like identifying that market opportunity and coming up with a design solution to speak to those consumers I really found those projects to be the most fun and so while all of this was happening, I've, I was biking to work. I've been an avid cyclist since college, I would say. I haven't really stopped biking most days. <laughs> and what I felt like I needed was a better way to carry things on and off my bike. You know, I felt like a lot of mornings I had to like make this trade off. Like, well, I can either bike and get that great experience that I want. I love how it like wakes you up in the morning, kind of cools you off at night. You get to see the city at a nice pace. You get some exercise. A trade-off between like doing that or like having the stuff I needed for the day, you know, and like, yeah. thinking about the meetings and everything I had planned for the day and be like, oh, can I really do this if I'm biking? And then just thinking like, why do we have to have this stupid trade-off? It doesn't seem like an either or situation. And surely there should be some stylish bags that you can put on your bike for your bike commute so you don't have to get all sweaty with a backpack or something and then use throughout the day. And then when I couldn't find anything, even looking at like European websites, which I thought would have something for sure, when I couldn't find anything, I was like, this just seems like such an obvious product, especially considering how more and more people are using their bike for transportation all the time. And, and it also seemed like a really good brand opportunity, like one of those white space design projects that I love so much because I could see more people using their bike for transportation. I knew from my own personal research that there was a total dearth of like crossover biking lifestyle products. And then looking at kind of like what was happening in the space and it felt like a lot of the bike brands were still so talking about biking as either like this really sporty performance 
activity, you know, where it's all about speed and lightweight everything and spandex and competition, or it was kind of like a more gritty messenger urban vibe, you know, that also wasn't really, didn't really reflect why I was biking. And so it just seemed like there was this big opportunity for a new brand that would kind of like celebrate the freedom and joy of biking and then offer the gear that would help support this kind of mobile lifestyle. So that was what I set out to create. And this was in 2009. I really felt like I was going to, it was going to be like a rocket ship. Boom. And, <laughs> and I didn't really, I still, still waiting for my racket ship, but I've like gotten a lot of momentum recently, which we can talk about. But, you know, in 2009, that was before um, bike share, before scooter share, before protected bike lanes, before like social media, really, you know. Um, and so we, we were definitely ahead of the curve with what we were trying to do. Uh, but we kind of held that focus and just what we were doing during that time until now, where definitely the market is just expanding and growing at the rate I had always expected it would happen. We have been able to really perfect the products with our target customer, develop a really solid supply chain, and just be ready to kind of hit the go button now that the market is is ready for what we've been creating. So where did the name Pocampo come from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I get asked that a lot. I bet. It comes from a character in a, a character in Lonesome Dove, which was the book I was reading when I came. Oh. So I don't know if either of you have read that book or seen the miniseries, which is also excellent. Uh, it's a Western, so it's kind of an older style, um, but it's about a cattle drive from Lonesome Dove, Texas to Wyoming, I think. And Campo was the cook that went on the journey. He's kind of a minor character, but he just like did everything his own way. And I kind of liked his, that was perspective on life considering all those drama that was happening every day on their journey. And I just also really liked the name. It was kind of, felt kind of catchy and I'm a visual person and it's like very circular, you know, you got the P and mm-hmm. the C and it was so I could kind of feel like I saw some bike wheels in there and yep. I remember saying to my husband, like, Pocampo, it's such a great name. That would be a good band name or a good business name. (laughs) (laughs) I went on with it. I know, like, people can really, it's easy to really belabor your brand name and to kind of maybe overthink it. They have it, like, symbolize all these things. And I didn't really, I felt like when you get a name that kind of feels right and it feels memorable, um, that you just grab it and go with it. So, yeah, the name is only part of it. So everything else has to come together, too. What's really interesting about what you have done is that when you, you know, when you were working before um, within an agency and, you know, me, I'll I'll say the same thing because I would have felt the same way. You get into those areas where you start to understand consumers and you see niche opportunities that those are the things you really want to go after, but that's usually not where the big money is going to come from. And those companies tend not to go down that route. Right. But you were able to do that. So what is it? Or like you were able to make that decision to go do it. What did you, what, what happened? Like, was it, was it like kind of an overnight or is this something that you really thought through for a long period of time? To get started with it? Yeah. Um, well, no, I definitely got hit bit by the entrepreneur bug and there is kind of a fever the entrepreneurs get when they have their idea or it just kind of consumes them. So I would say from like the first time I thought about it and then like doing my research and be like, Oh my God, this is such a great idea. You know, I have to do it now before somebody else does it. You know, I wanted it to be mine. I would say like 
two weeks. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and I remember I had, a, I invited a friend to join me as a co-founder and I put kind of like a pitch deck together to show her what I thought, like, you know, the opportunity and why we would be good partners and, you know, how our backgrounds would complement each other and how I could see it going. And, and really, you know, I feel like that same passion is really, it's still with me and it's really sustained me over the years. I, you know, I think sometimes you just really grab onto something and you can't let go of it. And that's totally how I feel with this. That's awesome. What did that pitch deck look like? Like, what were your big goals for your brand? You know, I remember like the opening slide said, what's that? quote, um, be the change you want to see in the world or yeah. something. And it was that, you know, and I was just talking about how we both like biking and we both had kind of these same frustrations with stuff and just with our backgrounds that we could solve this problem and be there together. And, you know, kind of some of the things that I knew that we both were drawn to and how that we could solve that with the company or work on that together. So what are some of the things that you found that, that you found were a struggle as you started this journey? I'm, I'm assuming there were things that you were like, holy cow, what was I thinking? Why did I do this? But you were able to overcome them. I would say like the first struggle was just figuring out how to make something. We we didn't want to order, you know, 2000 of anything, which is kind of like a normal starting quantity if you're making a sewn good in Asia, which is where the bulk of manufacturing, manufacturing is. And we also like the idea of trying to manufacture it in Chicago, which is where we were both living at the time, just, you know, to have kind of a local thing. And it felt like Chicago is this huge city. Surely there's places that can manufacture some bags. And this is probably the hardest thing with getting going. It really took us maybe six months to eight months to even find the right outfit to do it. And this is also the, how we figured out how to make the bag is also kind of a good story. Cause it was like, you know, Google was nothing, you know, like the only thing we could find were places that would make like tote bags, something super simple, you know? Yeah. And be like, there has to be this expertise in this city somewhere. I'm recalling the, um, the, uh, like different chamber of commerces throughout the city and not finding anything. And, having a friend who used to be, who had just been laid off as a soft goods accessory designer for Fossil. And so I kind of knew, I knew that she knew what we were looking for and that she had some free time to maybe help me look. And she was, uh, she's Korean, Korean American. And she's like, I know there's something in the ethnic communities, communities there has to be. So she asked her mom and her mom said, oh, you got to talk to the mechanic, Mr. Kim. He knows everybody. So then she went to get like her oil change with the mechanic and she asked him and he said, oh, I to Mr. and Mrs. Lee. They're in my church and they used to make luggage for Toomey. And so like that's how we found out. That's awesome. People. Um, and yeah, so we, we worked with Mr. and Mrs. Lee in the beginning. They made our first prototypes and it really like took up the quality up a notch um, because we were just using kind of like stapling together, gluing together prototypes before then. And we used those prototypes to do some really early user testing and to kind of get feedback some, from some stores. But at that time, they they were working for other places and we weren't ready to like hire them to, you know, sew a production for us, but then they introduced us to uh, some other people and we ended up um, with a factory in the Lawndale neighborhood that did some like cell phone pouches for Motorola and stuff like that. Um, and they did a really good job for the first couple of years. And it definitely was what we were able to launch with and the products felt like good quality. 
Um, and then we were able to make, you know, a decent production run, but nothing too huge that we couldn't handle it. I love that you found that through just networking and asking questions. Yeah, and that's how everything, I, mean, I actually feel like that's a good skill I honed during doing design research <laughs> back in my yeah. space, you know, like, just like doing the follow-up questions and, you know, somebody says no, like, well, do you know somebody who could help me? <laughs> I mean, like everything has kind of come through that same process. That's great. So it's obvious to me that you are an innovator and you have created your whole company through being an innovative thinker, but do you consider yourself an innovator and what are the qualities that you have that you think qualify you as an innovator? I guess I identify definitely with being creative and not really, I think this is part of my design background is like, so everything can always be improved, you know, like never feeling kind of like done with anything. And so it's not so much that like innovation, innovator for innovation's sake, but always like trying to find a better way to do things and coming at things from different angles to see where you can improve on the process or the product to make things better. Um, and always kind of feeling like there's room for new, you know, um, and kind of approaching it from that angle. Yeah. And have you seen, you know, since you've started, like you were saying, there is a bigger boom in bike share and scooter share. Have there been newer problems that you've had to solve along the way that Pocampo has had to innovate for? Yeah. And it does feel like with every stage of growth, you know, you get presented with some new issues. Um, I would say maybe a more recent one has been thinking about our, um, our distribution. We're an omni-channel brand. So that means that we sell through many different channels. We started off as strictly wholesale and began to sell online and now we sell on Amazon too. And kind of managing those different channels is often a struggle for me. Um, distribution is part of your brand communication. Pocampo is a very like accessible brand. I don't want to be like elitist at all where you can only find us in a certain place. And to me, that was part of like the beginning of Pocampo where I found a lot of like the original like groups felt very elite to me. Or, yeah. You know, I would go and show up at something and felt like I didn't belong and not wanting to have that experience with anything to do with Pocampo. And so really wanting to be wherever our customers shop is really important to me. Um, but then kind of managing those different channels can be a challenge. And one of the things that we think about is I don't want to push people to necessarily buy from our website, even though we make the most money there. So of course, part of me wants that. <laughs> but there's a, one of the other things that we lose besides just the margin is the uh, connection and information of the customers so that we can keep that relationship going. You just kind of rely on them to maybe sign up for your email list or maybe follow you on Instagram. And um, we were brainstorming different ways where we could try to gather some of that customer information from our other distribution channels. So, you know, if you decide to buy the bag at REI or Amazon or whatever, we could still kind of connect with you post-purchase. And the idea that we landed on, and I think this is like a conundrum that a lot of D2C brands face is, you know, how do you continue to have those people in, in your world? And so you just get a better idea of people's purchase behavior and all those other things that can come with it. So the idea, um, the solution that we're testing this year is we added like a smart tag to our packaging. It's the shape of a bird, which is kind of our motif and it has a QR code on it. And if you scan it, uh, it brings you to a page on our website where we'll make a donation to the charity of your choice. And in doing that, we obviously can 
offer that to our customers, which we know is important, but then we're also able to learn, like connect their email address to at least that product that they have. Uh, and just to be able to get some of that more customer information that we can use going forward. That's great. Did you, or do did you, I shouldn't say, did you, do you find that it's benefiting you being women owned? Have you seen, have you, has it been, that been obvious that you've been able to see benefits to that? Yeah, I would say so. Um, just because in the bike industry, that's not, that's an anomaly for sure. Um, right. The bike industry is dominated by a few big brands and, you know, they're very male dominated, even within those companies. And then even with the smaller companies, there's not too many uh, women business owners. And I think um, in the kind of bike scene, and this is definitely changing you know, for sure, but, you know, I do feel like there's been a lot of women kind of um, stick to each other, stick together and try to support each other. And so having a product that's um, designed by a woman is definitely something that our customers find is special and want to support. And not just the consumers, you know, also our wholesale customers, I know, really appreciate supporting a, a woman-owned business as well. I think from a design perspective, there's just some like design details that we're able to incorporate that men just don't even, would, wouldn't even think to include, you know, so, or we have such a good relationship with our customers that we're able, like they can tell us frankly, some of the things that they're wanting without seeming embarrassing. So for example, um, we have this bag that sits on top, on top of a rear rack. It's called a trunk bag. An earlier version came up higher. And I remember we were at, like I just sat taller for more capacity. <laughs> but I remember um, a woman came up to me and said that it bothered her because she had kind of a big bottom and it bumped up against the bag every time she sat down. And then it just made her feel like she had a big butt. And I was like, Okay, thanks for telling me, you know, because I can address that now. Or there's a, a shoulder strap, like I'm kind of a smaller frame person and a woman that had a really big chest came up. She's like, I, your shoulder straps are too small. I can't wear them cross body. I was like, thank you for telling me, you know, because now I can adjust that. Um, and I think there's just some, you know, some things that I think of, um, you know, thinking of like things that I carry with me, you know, a lot of women don't have pockets, you know, so you really rely on the pockets in your bags to keep everything organized. Whereas guys always have pockets, so they don't rely on that as much. And, you know, being able to incorporate a lot of those little details that I know really make a difference to our customer that we won't find with other brands. Did you actually start out designing for women? And I, I mean, I know now women, men, kids, I know you're across the board. Did you start out or was that not something oh, that was? Yeah, we did for sure. Um, okay. And that was because um, it kind of felt like everything in the bike world was like bike dudes designing for other bike dudes and just really feeling like nobody was even considering anybody but them. Um, so yeah, for sure. That's how we started. And I like to think now um, we've, we've definitely moved into a less gendered place with the products, but I would say a lot of those same considerations that I talked about already are still there. And I think in some ways we started with like the hardest um, usage scenario in a way, because the woman that we were targeting in the beginning, you know, like she, she's concerned more about safety, you know, she's has to carry more with her every day she, for better or for worse. She has some pressure to maintain a certain appearance throughout the day, you know, so that's like kind of figuring out how to help her integrate biking into her life and dealing with these other things that some other people, some men don't even really consider, you know, that we were able to develop products to meet those needs. And so now it feels like we can 
bring it to a larger audience and know that we're satisfying some of the more difficult usages. That's great. No, that's wonderful. Do you, are your plans for the future to get in store, to actually be in stores or to stay? Yeah, so we do actually sell the majority of our products is through wholesale um, right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant you were only online. Okay. Okay. Sorry. No, we started off with wholesale and then our online business has been growing really well um, the last year or two for sure. Um, but we do sell most of our units through wholesale and there's, we've seen that also growing at a nice clip along with the bike boom and especially with the e-bike boom that we're seeing. Just because with um, an e-bike, they're kind of built for replacing car trips. And it makes, I mean, maybe, maybe you don't buy it with that intent, but it makes it a lot easier to do because you can like load them up with whatever you want. Uh, you, you know, wind or topography doesn't really slow you down. Um, you can put your kids on there or whatever. And so um, once people start buying an e-bike, they kind of start using them for their trips and need bags to help do that, you know, because you don't have the trunk of your car anymore. So with the e-bikes, we've really seen um, Pocampo kind of like hitch a wagon on onto that. It's a really good match for us. That's awesome. Did, are you partnering with any bike manufacturers to maybe co-sell with them or... Um, we do have some things in the work, but it's a little too early for me to. Okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking if I had your hat, if I was like doing what you're doing, where would I be going? <laughs> um, no, that's great. That's great. And, and it, to me, to your point, I, I know there's this whole like, you know, bikes were selling out last year with COVID going on that I'm, I'm sure that you're kind of right. It's kind of like right place, right time. Yeah, it really did feel that way with um, COVID. I mean, it was such a hard year on so many levels. So I don't want to diminish that at all. But yeah. for um, in the spring, you know, I think like March, it was for all small businesses. You're like, oh my God, hopefully I can get through this. Yeah. We do most of our wholesale deliveries in spring. Like March is kind of our biggest sales month in some respects for wholesale, for sure. And, you know, most of our customers had to close their doors. So those orders were canceled or postponed indefinitely. But then once like April and May, we just saw our online sales continue to just, you know, up, 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 up. And, um, and once the um, doors reopened in the summer, you know, those orders started to really increase too. And it did feel like all those years where I had been kind of putting together the foundation of the company with perfecting the product and building out the solid supply chain and having kind of a team in place and ready to go. We were in such a good position that when that like kind of big gust of wind blew, we could like put up our sail and catch it. And and so we've been, we've been still kind of riding that wave now. Nice. That's great. What would you consider your proudest, proudest moment or your biggest accomplishment? You know, we've had some like great highlights, you know, like getting into a big retailer like REI or getting some great press like in the New York Times. But I, I still feel like the things that like warm my heart the most is some um, is comments from our customers. And there was one, um, I think this is probably 2019. I was getting into the subway and it was there was a woman ahead of me that had a Pocampo bag and it was the same one that I was carrying with me. So I tapped her on her shoulder and said something like, Oh, nice bag. You know, she's like, Oh, I love this bag. And then I told her I was the owner of the company and that I designed it. And she was like, Oh my God, no way. And then she said like, this is still like 
keeps me going. She's like, this is my most favorite thing I have ever bought because I didn't know how to bike to my job downtown until I had it. And I, you know, like that is such a huge compliment. Your most favorite thing you've ever bought. I mean, think of how much stuff you buy. And, no, top of that and then to like have it, like do what I kind of set out to do to make biking a better and more seamless part of your life, um, that it was doing that for her, you know, it's, and it's those kinds of things. It's like, when things get rough and you're like, maybe I should just throw in the towel. You're like, but I can't stop. I You're making an impact. That's yeah. fabulous. So speaking of making an impact, let, let me ask a different type of a question. Is there an industry that you can think of that if you had your way, you would have them innovate very differently or even embrace an innovation mindset to change things. A totally different industry? Yeah, totally different. That you think could really leverage innovative thinking. Hmm. Well, I've been so like focused on my corner of the world here. <laughs> <laughs> I do um one, I guess this isn't totally different because it's definitely adjacent. Um, but we are seeing a, like the micro mobility movement, which um, biking I consider to be a part of it. So it's a bigger thing and it's a little bit different, you know, but thinking about the e-scooters and all of that, it's such an exciting time to kind of rethink personal movement and urban transportation. But one of the things that I, I it's a still kind of an industry that's dominated by men. And so I can kind of see them going down that same path that a lot of the bigger bike brands went down, you know, where there's clearly that the, everything is being developed with the creators in mind, you know, so kind of like guys in their 20s and and not really like thinking about the big opportunity here when you think about all the people on the earth and how that's just such a minority of the people who could really benefit from it and thinking like there's just so much, the opportunity I think is just so much bigger than even how it's being thought about right now. Maria, this has been fabulous. I love your passion. And I, I love that, to your point, you stayed passionate this whole time and that you're really creating a really, really great product. So I don't have any more questions, Lane, do you? So we have one final question. So our podcast is called Hunting for Never Spoketh. And the, the thought behind this name is that we are always searching for new sparks, new thinking, and want to share that with our audience. And you have given us already a lot to think about today, but if you had one parting remark or spark of thinking that you could share with the audience, um, what would that be? Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking about the innovation question you said, you asked before, and I would say like playing the long game, you know, um, cause you do get, you know, when I started in 2009, it really was, I felt like I was just getting kind of pats in the, on my head, like, oh, okay, you mean your bike purses, that's a cute idea, you know, and, and to be like, no, this is the next big thing, you know, I want this to be as big as Lululemon, and I really believe it can be, um, to like, kind of like, be able to really hold on to that um, vision, even hearing the no or not being taken seriously for years on end um but then like continue to focus on it and improve it and kind of shape it so that when the time does come because it really is 
striking now when I talk to people and everybody's like, oh my God, this is the best idea. <laughs> and, um, and it just feels, I'm so glad that I kind of stuck with it. And um, so I think like, just really, I don't want to say patience because that just sounds so not fun and appealing, <laughs> but um, but you know the tenacity and to use all those kinds of different rejections or as a way to continue to improve the idea. That's fabulous. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. 